Welcome to the Insider Physio podcast by The Physiozest. We get to you discussions with superhumans, super physios and other healthcare practitioners. All right. First and foremost, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. It's my pleasure. Um, it, it's uh, not often that uh, we have such a prompt uh, positive response and especially from somebody like you who's, you know, extremely well established in your field. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My privilege, actually. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's get started then. So to begin with, Alan, um, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to pursue acupuncture? That's a very interesting question. It could be a very long answer. I'll keep the answer short. Um, suffering, my personal suffering, which uh, <clears throat> was the was the original uh, my original contact, if you like, with acupuncture. And uh, I was helped a great deal. Um, I had tried a number of different therapies. Uh, allopathic medicine had proven to be not particularly helpful. I tried uh, chiropractic uh, and physio, none of which seemed to resolve the situation particularly effectively. Um, <clears throat> at that stage, I was, uh, in, uh, I was a restaurateur. And I sought um, assistance from the acupuncturist. Someone had recommended that the local acupuncturist uh, might be able to help. And they were only five doors away. So uh, I sought treatment from the acupuncturist, to a lovely lady, and the treatment was uh, amazing. Um, gosh, I very rarely experienced anything like that in my life. Um, only probably once since but it was quite, uh, quite a stunning outcome and miraculous. And I've been suffering pain for well over three months. And uh, when the treatment was finished, I almost had to be carried out. I was so relaxed. It was ridiculous. And the next morning, um, I awoke pain-free. In and just thought, one wow. thing. One treatment was like, whoa, what is this? This is astonishing. And I, and off I went on my merry way. I didn't think much more about it for some years. But that was my initial, uh, my initial impression was obviously very positive as a result. And some years later, uh, with life circumstances uh, had changed and I was looking for um, a profession or a way to make a living that satisfied my passion for working with people and helping people. I, I knew that I really wanted to work with people and uh, I'd struggled for some years finding something that inspired me and through a series of circumstances I was introduced uh, to a gentleman, a chiropractor, whom I 
met, it was a school friend um, many years ago and I studied a massage with him, therapeutic massage. And at the completion of that course, after qualifying as a massage practitioner, I enjoyed the work, but found it incredibly frustrating not to get outcomes that I desired. And people would feel better for some time, maybe a day, maybe an hour, maybe not for long, and then uh, the pain would, would come back. Uh, I was mainly dealing or working with chronic pain patients. And then as life would have it, I came into contact with a young man who just graduated from acupuncture college. And I was talking to him and I said, I'm loving the massage, but it's just not doing what I want it to do. I want to be of more assistance to my clients, to my patients. And he said, hmm, there's a new course that just started up in, in Brisbane, which is the capital city, uh, probably about an hour, hour and a half drive from where I live. And uh, so that was the beginning of that, because immediately you said acupuncture, I connected my previous experience up with what had happened then, and it was... Uh, a win-win situation. I, I enrolled in the course and I studied and I graduated <clears throat> as an acupuncturist in, well, I first started practicing a little bit before I graduated from necessity, but I graduated in 1984, but I started practicing in 1983. Right. That's quite the journey though, to be honest. So um, just to, uh, you know, ask you a little bit about you know, there are a lot of patients that come up saying, you know, oh, allopathic medicine didn't help me. I've been to another physio that really doesn't help. But in your case, as well as so many other cases that we've seen, acupuncture does seem to help. Is there a certain reason why, you know, acupuncture works there and rest of the alternative medicines or, you know, um, other rehabilitative methods don't? This is a, a political um, time bomb. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it, we can always take it out of the interview if you're... Um... It, it comes back to the, 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 well, experience is a big factor, of course, but more so is skill. And then secondarily, obviously knowledge. And then thirdly, experience. Most of the acupuncture that's taught in the West has been simplified to an extraordinarily basic level. So most students graduating in acupuncture in the West and possibly in some of the Eastern countries as well, um, the level of skill is uh, marginal. It's very, very basic. Um, there are a number of reasons. Probably the primary one is uh, uh, that the type of acupuncture that's being exported from China and taught in China is um, not as directly linked to the classical text as one would think. So it's, if you like, it's modern Chinese medicine as distinct from traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine is inexorably linked to the great Chinese classical medical texts written some thousands of years ago. They're very connected 
to Ayurvedic medicine and to Tibetan medicine. Uh, I believe there is a common denominator there. But um, so the, the, for the medicine to be digestible to the, the very Germanic uh, reference of reality of the Western mind where um, there is, I'm, I'm sorry to say, a, a grave disconnection between natural phenomena and human phenomena. Whereas in the traditional text, based on um, relating natural phenomena to what occurs within a human being. So we're related to, as you would know, probably with Ayurvedic medicine, with the elements and how they interact and what systems within our body those elements or flavors are related to. And one of the major differences in the classical approach to East Asian medicine is the willingness to integrate the entire being of human as distinct from compartmentalizing into very specific disease states, which then translates in a clinical setting to actually treating the human being, not just the disease state. It's an integrated scenario. People will present with lower back pain, all different shapes and sizes to understand for that particular individual that their, their source imbalance that's contributing to the lower back pain in individuals can be different. It's not the same. And then being able to understand and utilize in a clinically effective way this, this underlying imbalance and how that can relate and how um, uh, um, synovial issues or uh, tennis elbow type issues or neck issues, how they can be directly related to the uh, integrity of the lower back, which is then directly related to the integrity and the balance of what we call the kidney meridian or the kidney organ. And the fact that the kidneys are located in the lower back and are related to the genitourinary system, but they're also related to the integrity of the bony tissue and to the integrity of the spinal column, um, to the, the matter within our brains. These, these are all related aspects of being that stem from the function of the kidney. And then we can go through each of the different organ systems in the body organs, the liver, the heart, the pericardium, the spleen, the pancreas, the liver uh, of the gallbladder, I, I, I didn't mention as well, and the lung, large intestine. There's a whole series of interconnected systems that East Asian medicine endeavors from a very, when I say holistic, I mean from a, 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 a macro to micro cosmic perspective to integrate all those systems together and then relate that understanding to the constitution or the genetic makeup of the individual. So that can be to a specific person. It can also relate to a culture. So the common problems in Chinese culture relative to the common problems in Indian culture, very different, yeah? Um, the Japanese suffer very much from problems, digestive problems. 
they're, they're prone more towards, if, if we're talking about cancer, which I don't like to talk about too much, but we're talking about the, the Japanese stomach cancer is the number one. In the West, lung cancer is number one. But still people have stomach cancer, and same in Japan, still people have lung cancer, but it's the dominant type of imbalance that can be related to the different cultures in the world, which then goes back to lifestyle, it goes back to socioeconomic reasons, it goes back to dietary scenarios as well. All of this contributes, and all of this is put in a pot. When we, with a practitioner of classical East Asian medicine, and we work through that. In addition to that, we utilize, um, or, or, or to do that, we utilize physiognomy. We understand that the size of the eyes relates in the body to the size of the liver, the size of the ears relate to the size and function of the kidneys, the color of the skin, the, the amount of hair growth on a person, all relate to different functions uh, within the body. So, it's a very intricate and involved medicine. It's very beautiful medicine. Um, there is, however, a difference between practicing it from a classical perspective in Japan to most other regions in the world, except for people obviously who've been trained in that system. And that is the tactile approach. In Japan, the only thing that saved uh, classical acupuncture after the Second World War. General MacArthur from the United States wanted to outlaw all indigenous medicine. He wanted to shut it down. The Japanese government refused because so many practitioners were blind. It was a medicine also for the blind because they found that the tactile sensitivity of the blind practitioners was extraordinary and compensated, more than compensated, for their inability to see because they used their hands to see. And that led to Japanese acupuncture being a much, or classical Japanese acupuncture, to being a much more tactile approach. So we have all of this incredible wisdom from thousands of years ago in the classical Chinese texts. And then that's been, <clears throat> the Chinese medicine was integrated medicine and law, I might add, was integrated, both those systems were integrated into Japanese culture in around about uh, 900 AD. So the, the Japanese sent emissaries to China and they came back with Chinese lawyers and Chinese uh, medical practitioners and they re-established the medical and legal systems. Much like in the West, we utilized the Latin medical terminology and legal systems here. So the Japanese did the same with the Chinese medicine. Hence the literature and language that's used to express uh, Japanese acupuncture is the same as the, the literature and language expressed in Chinese acupuncture. But the methodology differs in the classical sense because the Japanese just culturally have a capacity and a willingness to refine everything down. It's like um, when I was a boy, we had radios. Radios were like big. <laughs> but when they went to Japan, they, they 
turned it into transistor radios, which were that big. And then they did the same with everything, they, with building cars. When Japanese cars first came on the market, no one wanted to buy it. No, 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 we want an Australian car, we want American cars, it's in Australia. Now I, I drive and I love my Toyota. It's a beautifully engineered car. It, not a beat has gone wrong. It's the second one I've owned. I don't want another brand of car because they're incredibly reliable, dependent and well-made as a result of the culture, the Japanese culture, getting it all right. And if you ever go to Japan, you'll understand the length to which they'll do that. When you see how integrated their subway system is, and it's to the second, and it's just precision all the way, all the way. In the mornings in Japan, the employees go outside the, the building. And I saw a wonderful Instagram post just yesterday of a Japanese man in uniform, and they wear most of them, the employees will wear uniform or suits outside on the footpath using a vacuum cleaner to, to clean the footpath outside the business. Extraordinary. A pardon? Did you just mention they use a vacuum cleaner outside of your premises? Correct. Yeah, this, this is in Japan. This is in Japan. They, 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 the employees, if they don't have a vacuum cleaner, all the employees have a broom. They walk outside of the business and they clean the footpath and the gutter in front of the business. So that we have a country that's incredibly intensely populated, not as much as India, of course, but culturally, they're just so aware of the importance of cleanliness and hygiene. And their, uh, they, their hierarchy of needs, if you like, um, whereas perhaps in India, it's family, then maybe it's uh, uh, work and, and then maybe company. Here in the West, it's the it's us, the person, then the family, then work, then country. In Japan, country's at the top. Mm. Then work, then family, then self. Very different cultural structure. It works in many ways. It's a little awkward and probably a little bit soul destroying in other ways as well. It uh, it can it can be a bit brutal. And uh, Japanese, uh, they have very few holidays and uh, they work diligently. They can work very, very long hours. But that's basically, that's the background of the medicine and just the uniqueness of them. So for my, for, in my personal experience, I had the very, very good fortune of meeting a Japanese master acupuncturist in 1996. Uh, his name is Masakazu Ikeda-sensei and he is a true genius. He is in the process of now writing his 28th textbook. That's 28, two, eight. That's immense. That's just immense. He's presented over 500 workshops. And he would have in 55 years of practice, he's treated hundreds of thousands of patients. His family has suffered a little bit as a result because he's what we would term in the West a workaholic. And but he is he's Buddhist in his uh, his beliefs, and he's dedicated his life to ensuring that the legacy 
and the lineage of our beautiful medicine continues. And he realized very early on in the piece that that would only happen if he was able to communicate the essence of the medicine to Westerners. And from there, it would grow uh, uh, more naturally. Whereas in Japan, there's a mentality of uh, this is Japanese and they're, they're gaijin and, and they're secretive by nature for many reasons. And Japan and China don't get along so well these days. There's a few problems there, <laughs> politically. Uh, maybe India and China might have something in common in that way as well, yeah. Um, no political comment there, but <laughs> I'm on Japan and India's side. <laughs> Sorry, anyone from China. I love that I have some Chinese, beautiful Chinese friends, but politically it's, it's, um, it's an extraordinary time. Okay, so um, you know when you talk, you when you mentioned that it's the hands that make a difference, right? It's the touch that makes a difference. The only you know bulb that was going uh, on was how manual therapy also works for physiotherapy. In fact, there was an article that said that all of this comes down to just touch. It doesn't the force that you apply, the direction that you apply, the cycles that you do doesn't really matter, but it all comes down to touch. So, you know, that's what the human body really appreciates, accepts, and, you know, that creates some sort of cellular and um, nervous system changes. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, relate to that bit. Um, also, now that you were talking about how Japanese acupuncture is a little bit different from uh, the Chinese acupuncture and that it's a little bit of a refined form of Chinese acupuncture. What exactly is the difference in terms of practice currently? And are there any other forms of acupuncture that are practiced around the world except for the two that you just mentioned? Uh, there's so many forms. Mm. For every person practicing, you could say there was a there was a unique practice. The fact that there are three hundred and sixty five major points, and the combination the combinations are infinitesimal, um, and the teaching styles and the methodologies uh, are incredibly varied according to the countries. Uh, most countries uh, are teaching what we know as TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. But as I said earlier on, uh, it's actually more modern Chinese medicine rather than traditional. Correct. Um, so there's electroacupuncture, which in its way is effective. Um, there's dry needling, which has become very popular with the physiotherapists in the West. Um, again, in clinical application. It is effective in some instances, but it's bloody painful. It hurts. Patients don't like it. Uh, and it doesn't embrace the being human part of human humanity. It's treating a disease state or physical problem without any understanding of the actual uh, energetic framework that classical uh, acupuncture is based on. Uh, and certainly there are practitioners from all countries, I'm sure, who uh, uh, have advanced skill and uh, needling techniques, 
that are relatively painless and have great understanding of the medicine. It's, uh, in Japan, there are several different styles of acupuncture. Uh, the uniqueness of uh, the style that I practice and my teacher is that his primary qualification is as a pharmacist. That's a seven year university course. The first five years is chemistry and pharmacy. And then the last two years is the, uh, the actual Kampo or the, the Japanese herbal medicine. So his fundamental understanding was in the herbal medicine. His elder brother was an acupuncturist. So when he graduated, his elder brother then knocked him in the shape as, uh, as an acupuncturist with a herbal mindset. So he integrated things like the flavors and he was fascinated with the classics and still remains fascinated. All of the information he passes on to me and I pass on to others is all based and referenced back to the classical Chinese texts. So he's making the point all the time, none of this is new. And the difference between most of the acupuncture practiced on planet earth and that which I practice, and, and, and I'm not saying no others, there's certainly others practice, it's integrated into this lineage. So we have um, a historical basis and a knowledge, an inexhaustible source of knowledge and understanding that we can tap on for all our lives. For me, it's like I've been practicing now for 38 years and I feel I'm only just at the very, very start. There's so much more. And what that's done for me as a practitioner has kept me inspired, inspired to learn and inspired to teach, most importantly, inspired to practice. Because it's when I practice that I learn because I put the theories and the skills and techniques into practice and the outcomes are there. So nothing that we study or teach in <clears throat> the lineage that I work in um, is purely theoretical. It's all based on clinical, clinical outcome. Um, <clears throat> so there's be hundreds of types of Korean hand acupuncture. Um, uh, there's Vietnamese acupuncture, of course. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's still acupuncture in India of Ayurvedic nature. I'm sure in Tibet, they'll be practicing acupuncture of different styles as well. Um, and then there's Middle East. I don't quite know. I know they're in the Middle East. They have some students there who are uh, interested in and studying acupuncture. I would believe that in Africa now, which is becoming increasingly influenced by China, that they would be adopting some of the medical systems of modern Chinese medicine. Um, in England, again, there's uh, different styles. Again, in France, it's very different again. In France, um, <clears throat> only medical practitioners can practice acupuncture. In Italy, it's an enormous fine. I think it's something like 50,000 euro and or a seven-year jail sentence if someone other than a medical practitioner inserts a needle. Wow. So the, phys the physiotherapists in, uh, in Italy, um, the ones that are fascinated by uh, classical East Asian medicine, they utilise the moxibustion, the, the, um, the burning of Artemis vulgaris or mugwort. In, um, on specific points in the body to encourage healing response. And as many, many physios in the world now, there's uh, one gentleman in Spain, Philippe Cordet, he's a physiotherapist that's taken it upon himself to teach the Europeans 
this incredibly refined form of moxibustion called tonetsuku or rice grain moxibustion, which is just a, a wonderful, wonderful methodology, albeit a little bit more generalized than classical acupuncture, it's still therapeutically incredibly valuable. Uh, and there's um, uh, a number of wonderful practitioners in Italy, physiotherapists again, who are, are utilizing the Tonetsuki or rice grain moxibustion as a result of not legally being able to utilize acupuncture. Okay, so are all these systems or forms of acupuncture essentially based on the Meridian system? And if yes, I would really, really love to understand what exactly does this terminology meridian system actually mean? Because I, I do feel that lots of myths and misunderstandings around the concept of the meridian system. So we're definitely uh, like to know what is the you know real picture. So to answer the first part of your uh, question, uh, would be a lot of practitioners would say, yes, yes, I am practicing using the meridians. But in reality, a majority of practitioners uh, practicing now, they just use the points. They don't, the meridians uh, are a methodology that interconnect and interrelate the body. So because the teaching systems have been very aligned with teaching the specific disease state, the understanding of the interrelationship of this meridian network has been minimalized or uh, it's been minimalized. It's been, it's there, it's taught because it's there, but the understanding of it and the function of the meridians has been um, um, diluted extraordinarily. Uh, a bit like, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I won't go into any analogy, but the reality is that the Meridian Network is, an, it's, it's, it's like a, a refined energetic grid. So if we were to be controlling the traffic systems of a, a major city in the West, where, you know, I guess everywhere now, where the system is computerized. So we're able to look at the screen or you could look at the airlines flying. It doesn't, regardless, there's a system, a connecting system all through. This plane's flying there, it's going this way, that one's going this way, or, or the cars. Oh, this traffic light's turned red and it's stayed red. There's been an accident here, there's a block there. The Meridian system is a way of understanding the, the energetic grid of the body, the, the traffic network, where there's been an accident and there's a crash, or where the light should be green, but it's red, or where the light's green um, and it should be red, or it should be orange, um, where the traffic flowing north should be flowing south. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, and it's not just a, a network over the surface of the body. It connects all of the internal parts of the body as well. So if from a classical perspective, and this is truly classical from the ancient Chinese text, it's imperative that we understand the functioning of the network, which is connecting all of the points and each of the specific main networks, because the, the main meridians 
represents specific organ uh, organ functions and organ physical organs. So there, there are particular functions attributed to the organs in East, classical East Asian medicine that may not be attributed to the organs in Western medicine. It's another way of looking at the body. And I'm not saying it's better than, but I am saying it's different too. So for instance, um, we have the kidney meridian. And then directly related to that, we have the bladder meridian. And then we have the liver meridian, which directly related to that is the gallbladder meridian. And ironically, the gallbladder meridian runs over the temporal area of the skull, down across the neck and shoulders, down the lateral sides of the body, down to the feet. The bladder meridian runs from the head down beside the spinal column, down the back of the legs, down into the feet again. The kidney meridian runs up. The liver meridian runs up. And then we have the, the spleen pancreas meridian, and that is connected with the stomach meridian. And then we have the lung meridian that's connected with the large intestine meridian. And then we have the interrelationship between all those different, uh, what we call zung fu or, or, or physical organ and um, function networks, how they interrelate with each other from a classical perspective. It's a unique science it's, <clears throat> and it is a science. But it's also an art form. And this is that it's human to human medicine. So the irony of the irony of it is that classical Chinese medicine was only ever available to the elite class. It wasn't available, excuse my terminology, to the peasants, to the ordinary working class people. The only method of healing they had was to pray. And they would go to the temple and pray. Only the elite were privileged enough to have the doctor. The doctor would live with the family. The family would reward the doctor by feeding the doctor, by sheltering, giving them accommodation, and they would be paid in bolts of silk. And they would be well rewarded for keeping the family healthy. But they would be equally well persecuted if family members became unwell and they weren't able to resolve the situation. So there was a very, very uh, powerful incentive to know your stuff because the punishment could be pretty brutal. We won't elaborate now. So that, that, was, um, that was one way and that's one of the incentives of how refined and how medicine became. So in traditional times, there was equal amount of effort and energy applied to preventative medicine as there was applied to curative medicine. Okay, so when you say um, it's an refined energy grid, what would you exactly mean by energy grid? And what energy are we talking about here? Is, is there a way to... <laughs> uh, you're putting me on the spot. I love it. Thank you very much. Um, uh, what have I got here close at hand that I can utilize? Hang on. 
I'm trying to find a. I don't have a a a, 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 a grid uh, uh, available pictorial representation, but the, the there are different types of energy in East Asian medicine. Of course, we recognise blood, and then there's what blood makes. It's what we call nutritive key or nutritive chi. Um, this is that. This is the incredibly refined energy. So chi is what is chi? Chi is many things. Chi is the reason that the tree grows um, and the steps behind it. But we consume chi and energy to climb these steps. Steps, sorry, and we and the trees consume energy to grow um, from from a from an embryonic state. It's it's that life energy, that life force, that creates a human being or any sort of living animal, mineral or vegetable. All have this source which is the fundamental life energy. And then it, we can break it into all different levels of physicality and refined energetics. So one of the, one of the most superficial and more refined aspects of energetics is what we call the Wei Qi or Wei Qi. This is the defensive energy. So if someone approaches you in, a, in a, a strong, physically aggressive way or even verbally aggressive way, we block that energy as a natural response. This is what we call the defensive energy. So the defensive energy actually circulates away from the body to some degree to protect us. And the more aware and refined we are or more aware we are of the moment we're in, the more developed our protective energy is. So for instance, uh, if we, we, we were to, we were in a life a death situation, then our, our energy is totally and absolutely focused on the moment and on survival. And so therefore, all of the systems are in a hyperactive state. And, and the, then not only energetically are we blocking or resisting we are reacting in a very physical way. So there's a connection between this external defensive energy that we have, where we're protecting ourselves from a psychic, if you might, or a verbal barrage. I mean, there could be a psychic barrage as well. I mean, in many, many cultures, that's a really prominent thing. And here in Australia, the indigenous Aboriginal community, um, they had a, a, a form of punishment called pointing the bone. So if the, uh, the tribal elder uh, if, uh, found that someone had done wrong, um, they could sentence them essentially to death by pointing the bone at that individual. So that was a psychic thing. And the individual, because culturally they're 
totally okay and open to this as a possibility, more times they are not then in some way, shape, or form, they would pass away, they would die. And this is this is the kind of background energy behind a lot of the indigenous um God, I hate to say the name witch doctor or energetic medicine or, or, or energetic uh, rituals of many of the indigenous tribes. The difference with the traditional East Asian perspective, I think, is that they took it in and related this external intention with the internal reaction. So there's what we call the defensive energy, then we have the nutritive energy, then we go into denser and denser and denser forms of energy until we get to the bony tissue, which for all purposes is the, the most dense uh, <coughs> energetic tissue we have. It's then it's really compound. But underneath all of the physicality, there's an energetic principle to which creates bony tissue. So that's that's... The, the meridian network is about the integration of that, all of it, the, the, the apportioning of the defensive energy, the apportioning of the nutritive energy, uh, how much of the defensive energy goes internally to protect our organs and protect our physical structures and keep us erect um, and keep us disease free or disease less, less diseased and energetically congruent. Um, and this, comes down to our state of mind, our state of heart, <coughs> our physical activity, um, um, and our cultural perception of, of life. Um, I have some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life are the Pacific Islanders, the people in Fiji. I've never, they are just so relaxed and easy about life. They're poor, impoverished, but they have... Uh, a way of really enjoying their life. And some of the most uptight, um, freaked out people I've met um, are multi-millionaires. Um, so it's, yeah, it'd be nice to have a balance there somewhere, <laughs> I would think. Did I answer your question? Yes, it did, absolutely. Oh, good. I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, it, it uh, did. But it did also raise a lot of other questions, but I'm going to save them for later. Um, so, um, okay, back to, um, you mentioned uh, in my previous question, you talked about, you know, how dry needling has uh, recently gotten a lot of uh, publicity, I would say. Um, and, you know, is being rampantly practiced and advertised and, you know, people are getting all sorts of certificates with dry needling, etc. So there was this uh, article that I was reading that said that like dry needling is based on structure, as you said, it doesn't really take into account the integration that you've been emphasizing on. So does, does the Meridian system also work a little bit on structure. So the article basically said that, you know, some of the points of the meridian systems um, are related to anatomic structures underneath, like nerves or blood vessels. Is that true in your experience or not so much? Oh, absolutely. But the, yeah, for sure, the physical structures are vital. And without that, let's see, it's, it's the vessel. Of pin, of pin. We have those two principles. We have the yin 
<clears throat> which is the cooling, calming, solid, resting principle, or the feminine principle. And then we have the yang, which is the outward uh, warming, spreading, energetic principle. And that is the male principle. Um, in any station medicine, by the way, the yin controls the yang. <laughs> it's true. It's subtle, but it's there in most color, uh, in, in most uh, cultures. Um, and it's becoming more prevalent now. And that, that pleases me no end, by the way. Um, Mainly because I think, excuse me, gentlemen, but men have made an absolute mess of it. And we are in absolute turmoil on planet Earth at the moment for so many different reasons, the major one being greed. And the secondary one, the lack of humanity and understanding and empathy uh, that a woman mainly, and again, this is not extreme. I mean, some women are very predatory and <laughs> they don't mind killing a few people either. But um, I think in most women, uh, particularly those sort of mothers, uh, the, the understanding of uh, humanity is at a different level. And I think we really need a massive injection on planet Earth now of empathy and kindness for our fellow man all the way around. Um, whether that will come to be or not, who knows? But um, I think it's just very, very sad now that um, we're driven so much by monetary greed and power. Um, and that's just the way it is. So um, I think I lost track of your question. <laughs> oh, the yin and the yang. So the physical and the, and the energetic. <clears throat> so, okay, let's, let's have a for instance. Okay, here in Australia at the moment, we, our, our governments are absolutely intent on forcing everyone in the, in the country to be vaccinated without the trial being finished. <laughs> we have no idea what the long-term consequences of vaccination will be health-wise, but there is an extraordinary amount of fear in the community. That fear is being driven by the media intentionally, I believe. It's no accident. Uh, the consequences of that are, are really are terrible. Um, the outcome for younger generations, for children that have grown up in this environment, um, oh, from, a, from a physical perspective, um, we won't know for some time. And I'm not talking about any possible side effects of the vaccination at all. I'm talking about the side effects of the stress, the anxiety and the constant low-grade fear that's being drilled into anyone that watches mainstream media or follows mainstream media on planet Earth. The consequences uh, from a mental health, from a spiritual health and consequently a physical health are really severe. But depending on the culture, uh, more cancers, um, um, more suicides, um, more uh, mass shootings, um, more unhinged behaviour expressing the deep-seated anger at what happened to my life. 
more abuse in homes. Terrible, terrible. Oh, shocking. And and I'm I'm sad to say, and and, and our government's no different here. They're turning a blind eye to all of this. Totally nothing. No, everything's great. No problem. But I, I can see just in my clinical practice, just the just in my small, tiny, 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 tiny little world. And I've been, uh, been taking note of some prominent psychologists uh, the, of the consequences. And this is how the energetic uh, impact of what happens in our life can affect our, our body. Here's a great a personal experience of mine. Um, the mother of my children, she passed away when my children were eight years of age. Excuse me, I didn't sleep properly for 10 years. That's how the, the energetic uh, uh, consequence of my, my mental state and my emotional state, how it affected my physical state. Um, it was only because I'm, I'm pig-headed and stubborn and wouldn't lay down um, I finally crawled out of the hole. And when I look back now and I think, had I known then what I know now, I wonder whether it would have been possible to right the ship or crawl out of my hole in a more effective and, and a, a faster way uh, than it took 10 years. And, and it was, and I, I'm free to admit that it was, was my profession that, that pulled me out. It was working with people and understanding other people, getting off my case, if you like, and understanding other people had situations of a similar or even in many cases more severe nature than I. And I finally resolved the situation within myself in saying I was not honouring the memory of my late wife and the mother of my children by dragging my backside around in the gutter for so damn long and feeling sorry for myself. So um, that was the way the energy then correcting a physical, it was a physical problem. I mean, I couldn't sleep. So I was, I was, uh, I was angry. I was sad. Um, I wasn't as good a parent as I could have been as a result of this. Uh, <clears throat> and I think this is happening now in the 21st century with the incredible fear that's uh, happening on the planet at the moment. And I'm, I'm not belittling the situation with the virus at all. It's serious, um, no question. Um, but the amount of fear that's been generated, um, that's as serious in many instances as, as, the, as the virus itself. And I'm sad to say it's, a, it's the government's now discovered with mass media, um, and the powers to be discovered with mass media and the purposeful use of fear um, is a wonderful control mechanism of the human race. So the human race is, yeah, we'll just leave it. <laughs> I won't run off into any sort of theory there, but <clears throat> it is well and truly the case now. We, we, um, we're far more controlled scenario than we were two years ago. There are so many cases that are just out of anxiety and 
you know, aggravated due to the stress, gone worse after COVID, it's just unreal. The kind of consequences you see in school children out of studying online and, you know, not being able to have that, um, what do you, interaction with kids of their own age, it's just unreal. So if we go back to the energy, we go back to energy, okay? So we get energy from food. We get energy from water. We get energy from the sun. Uh, there's another source of energy that is not commonly um, spoken about, except with the psychologists and with um, community-oriented people, and that is the contact between humans that creates uh, energy and it, it feeds and nourishes us. I didn't even realize that was a source of energy until it was pointed out by one of my Japanese acupuncture teachers. He made me work for two weeks and I still couldn't work out what it was until he, he gave up and he said, well, this is, <laughs> this is the deal. It's that human to human contact and that sense of community that, um, <clears throat> It makes us feel welcome and whole. It's a, it's a genetic thing that's come from the beginning, the very beginning of humanity. So from if we carry on from that perspective, when we're talking about touch, that's where the touch becomes so uh, such a vital aspect of, of, of healing, of connection. And this is where the virtual medicine and virtual education, same story. I'm delivering workshops by Zoom. And it's, for me, I, don't, I think the students get something out of it, but for both the students and myself, and for myself and my teacher, the connection is not the same. It's better than nothing, but it's not the same. All right, uh, back to... Um... Yeah, basics about um, Japanese acupuncture. So, um, so the WHO has recognized around say a hundred and uh, again, this was an old article that I read. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are between 100 and 150 disorders or disease conditions that the WHO has recognized as, you know, can be treated or can be uh, helped with the use of acupuncture. And then they, you know, categorized into some four categories, and each category has its own characteristics. So, um, can you elaborate a little bit more about, you know, what sort of conditions can be or cannot be, if any, treated by acupuncture? Is this categorization appropriate? If not, why? Sorry, I'm I'm throwing too many questions at you at a time, but. Uh, I'm just curious. That's okay. Now, this is a good question. It's Again, it comes down to what's happening with the profession in the world at the moment. It's become very research-based. Now, when it's research-based and the research is performed by academics or inexperienced clinicians or people that are not skilled, then the results of the research will reflect the average skill level of the practitioner, the poor knowledge of the practitioner, and the ignorance of the practitioner. So many of the research-based studies 
are not congruent with clinical practice of a skilled practitioner. I would be much happier if there were more recognition and more clinical based research from experienced practitioners taken into account when <clears throat> qualifying what acupuncture can and can't treat. It's to do with the level of efficacy. Acupuncture can treat anything. I'll qualify that. Whether it can cure anything is an entirely different statement. I'm not saying that. But, <clears throat> okay. So if we, I've treated several people who were passing away. They were dying, literally dying in front of my eyes. Um, the partners of those people 100% said their experience changed enormously as a result of the acupuncture treatment, the experience of the person that was passing. So that's definitely not in the 101 disease states that can be treated by acupuncture. <laughs> that's one extreme level. Another might be um, a 10-day-old baby um, suffering from croup and constant pain and discomfort um, and without inserting a needle using touch. And a, a technique, a paediatric technique we use where we don't insert the needles at all, but we utilise the meridian pathways, um, that baby's condition was, was um, cured, cured immediately, spontaneously, problem fixed, no further problems. To the people who've had um, spinal surgery and had... Um, uh, um, disc surgery, replacement discs, or um, any number of scenarios there, lower back problems are a really huge, huge uh, part of human discomfort. Um, then it's a matter of improving the quality of life of that person, because there's no way I'm going to be able to cure or heal that person, because their physiology, not their, phys their physiology, but also their physicality is permanently changed. They have an artificial thing in their body. And if that surgery hasn't gone as well as it could have, then they're desperate because they've been in enough pain to warrant surgery, and then the surgery's been unsuccessful. And I'm not saying all surgeries are unsuccessful. Some of the surgeries just damn magical. It's miraculous, and it's wonderful. But there are many, many cases where the surgery doesn't resolve the situation. And the person's, sorry, that's all we can do. Here, <clears throat> here's the medication. And as we know that that type of medication, the opioids, pain-killing medication, they have, it has definitely had long-term side effects. So acupuncture in that scenario can go a long way into making that person's or individual's life a lot more livable. My daughter. And um, one of my colleagues, there are a number of practitioners now in the West doing this, um, but my colleague in New York, Dr. Andy Rosenfarb, he specialises in the treatment of ophthalmic disease. 
people with, um, um, gosh, I've got to remember the name, but, uh, night blindness, um, uh, uh, macular degeneration, dry and wet macular degeneration. He treats people using a very different style of acupuncture to me. Nothing like what I use, but with great success in helping slow down and in some cases resolving, but in most cases slowing down the degeneration of people that are slowly going blind. And he is world famous. He's treated people from, I don't know how many countries all over the planet. They traveled to New York to see him because he is a world-renowned specialist in this particular, uh, treating these particular conditions. So it's a very different example to how I work. But again, it, that definitely won't be in the 101 disease states that acupuncture can effectively treat. And <clears throat> I could go on and on and on about the, I treated hundreds of thousands of people. And in a majority of cases, successfully to some degree. In other words, I've relieved the pain, improved their lifestyle, improved their sleep, lowered their stress levels, improved their blood pressure, um, uh, helped control their diabetes, um, maybe resolved or helped their skin condition, um, their digestive scenarios, um, musculoskeletal issues, neural issues, um, headaches. Headaches, the acupuncture is incredibly effective when applied appropriately to treating all sorts of headaches. Um, so there's it, 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 101, it's like, no, <laughs> more, but we're not talking, I'm not talking about curing. That's a whole different ballgame. And I think <clears throat> from a Western medical perspective too, uh, I think Western medicine is becoming increasingly reluctant about using the term cure, because there's more and more recognition that um, when we medicate for a particular disease state, there's often a knock-on condition or a side effect of that medication. We, we, obviously, we use warfarin to thin the blood and lower the blood pressure, but that has a knock-on effect that if the person hits themselves, they bleed really easily. And in time, there are more serious consequences of that. But the warfarin is life-saving. So I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's not a cure. And I think this, this word cure is a very interesting word. And, um, yeah, that's – I hope I've answered your question effectively there. Okay. Um, so just uh, not really on track, but when you say that, uh, you know, you – suppose, for example, a um, case of low back pain. Now, you did mention that, you know, sometimes just for yourself also, that, you know, one seating and it, the effects are miraculous. It, it, is it that, that over, the over a period of time, the person can go back into the same state? For example, the, there are, there's like a lot of, you know, um, information or, you know, um, conversation going around how manual therapy it has temporary effects. So does acupuncture have effects that are a little bit short term and then there are others that you know are long term? Most definitely. And and excuse me for saying this, but all medicine same. Yeah. In my experience, certainly in, in every condition, every person, 
that person goes back to the same lifestyle, same dietary regime, the same mental stress pressures, then the chances of the condition uh, uh, being alleviated and then um, um, <clears throat> uh, becoming uh, prevalent again, it's quite, especially with degeneration of the lower back, especially with that. I mean, it's, it's a degenerative condition. Uh, and it's physicality, um, it's chronic. But for, in, for, me, for mine, um, I had probably in four or five years completely, the condition was wonderful. And then I, um, I lifted uh, an inappropriate weight in an inappropriate way, <coughs> I blew up again. But I was, uh, <coughs> uh, acupuncture resolved that pain. It was actually my wonderful late wife put the needle in and I, 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 I did the work with it. And I had been um, paralyzed basically for three days. And again, it was a miraculous recovery, but that's not always the case. Um, my lower back personally has been my Achilles heel health-wise all of my life. Um, since I was like 12 years of age. There are a number of reasons why I go and do that, why that's the case, but certainly the situation. But to give you another, for instance, in Australia, and I'm sure in India, of course, you have malaria. Here in Australia, a mosquito-borne disease. Um, <clears throat> in Australia, we have um, uh, what we call Ross River fever, which is that's the origin of the mosquito that was first discovered to spread this blood-borne disease. And then we have another one called Barma Forest Fever. We also have dengue fever, as they do through the tropics, through Indonesia, Malaysia, etc. Um, acupuncture, in my experience, this is one of my specialities, and it, it saddens me greatly at this stage of my life, where I've developed and refined and have the expertise at a very high level to treat these kind of conditions, I can no longer do it because of the latest viral scenario, um, no one is seeking assistance for those type of conditions because they're so paranoid that it's, it's this pandemic type viral scenario um, and they're scared to spread it. Um, and we are not allowed to treat people in a suspect state because it may be the viral condition. So those people on the planet who suffer from dengue fever or any of the mosquito malaria, um, it's a very, very difficult situation because their condition is now secondary and their suffering is no longer of great import to, um, to, to any of the medical professions for, for some reason too, yeah. I'm not saying right or wrong, but for me, it's very sad because I had built up a high, it was my passion to work with people where Western medicine was, had basically had the hands tied. There was very little they could do to relieve the condition. And the acupuncture, uh, the refined acupuncture uh, with the skill and experience could deliver outstanding spontaneous outcomes. And it's sad that, that, that I'm not able, I'm no longer able to do it. But um, I've got to be grateful that I, I had that experience for some time. Hopefully, you'll be able to resume sometime. Yeah, I, I, I hope one day. I don't hold out a lot of. I, I just. Uh, I, I can see one booster 
and another booster and another booster and another booster. Yeah. I see a lifetime of boosters coming up. Okay, just following up with uh, that question a little bit. So in our understanding, again, I may be wrong, but passive treatments, any sort of passive treatment needs to be followed up with some sort of exercise program in order for the effects to last. At the end of the day, unless and until you build enough muscle strength or correct your biomechanics, the condition is going to keep coming back. In, uh, in you know, just connecting that to acupuncture. Again, acupuncture, can I say, is a passive treatment of sorts. And how do you, um, if the patient is not following up with, you know, any sort of exercise or anything, how are the effects being maintained? Um, it's very common situation, uh, certainly in my experience in our culture, for uh, it's not common for people to follow a specific exercise regime and and, and regenerate the body. Um, it does happen, though. There are patients that will consciously rectify the cause uh, of their issue. Um, as a practitioner, I take uh, I tend to I do my best to mirror my my teacher's attitude. Uh, <clears throat> he's a Buddhist, uh, a, 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 a Buddhist. Uh, he practices Buddhism. There you go. Rather than saying a Buddhist, he practices Buddhism. So he's very much comfortable with the karma that people carry. And he's a great believer that people carry their karma. Um, so from that perspective, and I, I mirror this to the best of my ability, I will advise people. So if someone he, in his area in, um, in Japan, alcoholism is rife. So liver disease is also very prominent. So he will advise the patient to reduce their drinking. Um, and as you know, with alcoholics in many cases, they don't have the will or the inspiration to do so. So he will continue to treat that person. He won't admonish them. He will say, well, yeah, that's it. And, but he'll continue to treat and do everything he can to make their life uh, uh, more livable. <clears throat> and uh, I guess uh, it's the same in this day and age now with the, the, the stress levels of people uh, uh, undergoing in working roles. I have uh, treat some people uh, in my Brisbane clinic. Uh, they're high-ranking uh, public servants in the government. And the stress that they're under is unbelievable. Um, and they have no option but to continue with their work. Um, so I will teach them a very simple breathing technique to help them to relax. And it's certainly their choice as to whether they do that or not. Um, uh, there are certain dietary fats now these days uh, that um, I believe that aren't necessarily good for an individual's health. And I will mention that, but I won't belabor them to do it. Um, and as, as an acupuncturist, uh, I don't practice Qigong, I don't practice Tai Chi, I swim in the ocean a lot, I surf regularly as well, 
So that's my 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 regime. I walk as well. I love walking. Um, I love walking through the mountains and I love nature. So I, I try and get a balance in that regard in my life. But not everyone has that privilege. They don't live in an environment where they can go out into nature or go swimming and surfing. So from that perspective, I remember I was uh, I presented a workshop in Jakarta, <laughs> Indonesia. <laughs> um, and um, I advised the practitioners to tell, oh, tell your patients to go into the park and just lay on the grass and take the sun in at lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, my interpreter said, Alan Sensei, there are no parks in Jakarta. And I was just, you're kidding. No, you truly, there were no parks in Jakarta. So there was nowhere for people to go to go and lay in the sun and lay on the grass. So from that perspective, I do think it's important. And uh, if I believe that the people need guidance in that way, I'll refer them to uh, a practitioner of Tai Chi or Qigong, Pilates practitioner, or I, 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 some of my colleagues are, are brilliant physiotherapists. So I'll refer them to the physiotherapist. Go and see the physiotherapist. You know, they will help you finish this off. Go and see the Pilates practitioner so you can rectify this fundamental muscular imbalance in your body. Um, and I haven't resorted so much to the psychologist yet, yeah, I, but I think in time that's going to be a situation that I'm, I'm going to have to start referring people to psychologists um, because of the nature of the life on earth in the second decade of the 21st century. Um, all right. So, uh, like you mentioned, that one of your colleagues uh, specializes in um, kind of, uh, he is like an ophthalmic acupuncturist. Do you need to go to a specific kind of acupuncturist for your conditions? Or, for example, there is a horde, say, around 10 or 15 acupuncturists in my area. How do I understand or what do I look for? Uh, while you know picking the practitioner besides experience like you mentioned that you know experience is something that really is of prime importance when it comes to acupuncture but other than that how how do you pick and choose which acupuncturist do you go to the op, the ophthalmic is definitely it's, it's a the, the, we i can work with eye eye issues as well yeah and, and quite effectively using the classical based acupuncture. My colleague in New York, he uses uh, electroacupuncture mm -hmm. and strong needling in the soles of the feet and hands, the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet. Yeah. And I, I did that for a couple of years, but I just couldn't continue to do it. And it's, it's very effective, but so is the methodology I use. I would say that very difficult you'd have to ask the question of the practitioner, what areas do you specialise? Do you specialise in a specific area? That question would need to be asked. But probably I would, I would always favour that practitioner that's been in practice the longest. And, I mean, that's not prejudice against people that are starting out because everyone does. But if someone's been in practice for 20, 30 years or 10 years even, you know that they've got some degree of skill and expertise because they're still in practice. Mm. Um, as you know, if we don't get the clinical results, then 
in most cases, we eventually, we, we, we don't stay in business. We're not attracting the clientele and the clientele don't recommend us to other patients. So, uh, yeah, um, it would be, and to our, there's no other way. I mean, you, you, anyone can write anything. I mean, another other way, I'm not sure whether in, in India the, um, <clears throat> that you use the Google review system in India, but certainly in Australia, it's very prominent. Um, uh, one of my clinics has five star, the other one is 4.9. We won't go into the loss of the 0.1. Um, <laughs> it wasn't me and, and it wasn't the efficacy of the practitioner. It was a, a very, um, uh, very angry person regardless of the treatment they receive. But um, that's another way. I think uh, in this day and age, one of the advantages of obviously technology is that we can use the system of reviews when we're purchasing anything. And we can also do that with a practitioner. So I would, I would tend to go that way, uh, it, especially in acupuncture. As you say, everyone's got some sort of different qualification or, excuse me, <laughs> they've studied with... <clears throat> A different system with a different practitioner or a different teacher gone to a different college um yeah test drive is probably i mean as unfortunate as that is um i mean e even in the in the, in the medical fields you can go to a specialist and one specialist is not particularly well suited to your situation and another specialist absolute genius and they specialize in the same area uh, it's, a, it's a very tough question to answer in any sort of authoritative or rewarding way. It's, yeah, um, experience is a great teacher, number one, and, um, and you really need to, to get a gut feel of how you feel after a treatment. Did that help me? Did I feel better or did I feel worse? And it's always worth giving the practitioner two or three uh, uh, attempts. But... Um, I'm very resistant to painful treatment now. I don't like painful treatment of any kind. I, I've had all different sorts of treatment. I've had injection therapy. I've had electroacupuncture. I had a severe car accident in 2007. I, I had physiotherapy. Um, I, I did uh, TheraBand exercises. And after all that, I just stopped because each and every one of the therapies were, were, was trying to force an outcome and was actually aggravating the condition. So I, I hang on, I've got to stop here. I'm going to let my body recover. And, and it has to some degree. I mean, I lost the use of a couple of muscles in my arm, um, but that was the case anyway. I went to a neurologist. He said, look, they're gone. Then they ain't coming back. And, and that's why there's no, no, no amount of acupuncture or physio um, and straighten that out for me because physically um, the, the nerve was crushed. I'm sorry I couldn't be more helpful. I would love to have a list and roll it out and say, yes, you see. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely okay. Uh, okay. As, like you mentioned, that you keep referring to, you know, wherever you find uh, it essential or necessary, you keep referring your patients to other practitioners. When yep. is it that as a physio, can I refer a patient to you? 
or what are some of the instances where your you know uh, people or physios around your area have um, referred patients to you? Um, I don't get an enormousness. Uh, we have a. I work in the clinic in Brisbane. There's 16 physiotherapists in the clinic, and every one of the 16, they also do dry needling now. So it was a very, very different situation in before 2004 when dry needling was unheard of. In fact, the physiotherapists could down talk acupuncture. Um, however, um, there are a, a number of physios who are, uh, I would say, higher level, skilled, and uh, um, open-minded. Basically, that they will have worked uh, on the physicality of usually they're treating the chronic injury, and they want me to de-stress or uh, relax the, the nervous system to uh, help their work uh, by uh, helping the patient to sleep. Uh, helping the patient to feel more at ease in their body. So that may be in, in working with the pain levels as well. That's part of the picture. Uh, very much uh, certainly uh, inducing a higher level of balance that will reduce the tendency towards insomnia and anxiety. So strange to me, because most people are a bit anxious about getting needles. You most likely send people, they'll most likely send people experiencing high anxiety um, stress, insomnia, and uh, higher levels of pain that are not being resolved by the current treatment and physiotherapy. Oh, he, there's one particular practitioner I work with now for almost 30 years. He's one of Australia's leading physiotherapists. Uh, had the privilege of working with um, one of our champion football teams here in Australia, uh, three times national champions, and, and many Olympic gold medal athletes as a result of my association with him. I also had the privilege of working with his wife um, during her pregnancy and leading into the birth of her four children. So um, I did a lot of prenatal work with her as well. To to and in each case, and this is not always the case. This is not saying 100% right, but in each case, in the birth of four children, the the birth was uh, expeditious and obviously not painless, but very 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 uh, very short. Uh, birthing and with minimal complications. Um, I wish I could say that for every situation. I can't, but but in her particular case. So, and um, <clears throat> um, I've also also worked with uh, uh, with that particular practitioner when he's become unwell um, with um, with a pre-pandemic viral condition, <laughs> a flu. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know how you say the word these days without being a political time bomb. <laughs> but um, yeah, so in the main, it'll be, that'll be where the referral comes. Most of my referral comes from people who've benefited greatly from treatment. Any mental health uh, or any anecdotes from uh, people who have been long suffering from mental health or disorders, I would say, and uh, you know, acupuncture has been extremely effective for them. 
apart from anxiety, stress, and insomnia. Once we get into the uh, higher level schizophrenia, um, that uh, it, it's a chemical imbalance. It's a very severe condition. Uh, manic depression, again, is another one as well. So it's a very difficult condition to work with because the, the people in the most cases are not stable. Okay. That they, is exactly they, the reason they, why I asked this question. Yeah, and, and, and they're, they're wanting an outcome now, like yesterday. And they're incredibly impatient because in most cases, they've had therapy of some sort forever in a day. So when they come to see us, it's a, it's a real struggle to get them to understand, to, to undo the mess that happened inside their brain and in their bodies and address the chemical imbalance. It's going to take time. We have to pull it apart. It's like when we go fishing, when the fishing line gets tangled, that's that's the chemical imbalance. It, it takes forever, not forever, but it takes a disproportionate amount of time to use an energetic medicine to redress that incredibly intricate and um, diametrically opposed imbalance, chemical imbalance in their body. In many instances we can help with the anxiety and we can help with the insomnia uh, and we can help in some cases with the anger but uh, there was a practitioner uh, in the united states um gosh his name was dr ted Capchel. he was given license by the California state government to practice or, or research acupuncture treatment for uh, criminally insane patients in the Californian penal system. Um, he had some good results, but he became, it was a very difficult scenario to work with. And he was not, saying acupuncture is the be-all, end-all for correcting these situations. Again, it depends on the condition itself. It depends on the constitutional makeup of the patient and their inspiration and desire to, and patience to resolve the condition. It, um, yeah, I'm not jumping up there and say, yes, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. It's, um, it's a, a real borderline scenario. Um, I have had some success, certainly with depression, um, but when we're talking manic depression, that's an extreme condition, and we're talking schizophrenia again, an extreme condition. And, and again, I, I'm not against allopathic medicine in any way. Um, it's valid, and especially in these situations, it, it can be a life-saving measure and certainly an improvement in uh, the person's ability to in enjoy their life but when it's a medicated scenario it comes at a cost and that, that's just the way it is um, you know we, what we take from Petra we give to Paula but 
Um, I certainly wouldn't glibly approach anyone with mental illness saying, yep, I can fix you, no problem at all. No, 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 no. Um, but uh, can I manifestly assist them in uh, enjoying their life more? Possibly, certainly. Again, they're not conditions that we regularly see in clinic these days. Uh, depression, yes. Um, insomnia, anxiety, yes. But once we get to those extreme levels, there is possibility uh, to do, but it would re almost require institutionalizing the person so that they could have regular treatment. It's not a once a week, it would be treatment that would be required to repeat it frequently for an extended period of time. And from that perspective, unless the treatment were pretty well painless, was comfortable and induced the state of relaxation, the patient would eventually become exhausted and would lack the inspiration to continue treatment because it was hurting. And most people don't want to be hurt all the time. All right. So I have already taken up a lot of your time. Um, uh, extremely sorry about that. I just, I, I'm so immersed in conversation that I absolutely forgot that we uh, crossed the time that I asked uh, of you. So thank you so much for doing this today. And uh, it was an absolutely amazing conversation. The things that you brought out about, you know, the traditional Chinese medicine and its uh, connection to the past and how that's the correct, the meridian system, all of it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, yes, we hope to definitely uh, be in touch and uh, once the that's all from our side connect with us on instagram and linkedin the physiocast e-magazine launches bi-monthly catch our latest edition at www.thephysiozest.com the physiozest signing off evolving you one page at a time